Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for joining us today. It's wonderful to have you with us. Please stay for this hour as we are very happy again today to open the Bible, continuing in the book of Ephesians, and we learn so far good advices for all of us. And today we are um, looking into practicing supreme loyalty to Christ. I'd like to say hello to our panel, and uh, it's good to have with us uh, Jerry. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. It's a pleasure to be here. Denise, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. I'm looking forward to this today. Hi, Brenton. It's good to have you part of the program. Thank you, Nick. I think this is going to be a most interesting study. Elijah, I would like to thank you for... um, taking this opportunity and preparing this Bible study for us today and uh, um, welcome you to the program. Thank you, Nick. Well, it's very good to be able to open the Bible and uh, to allow the Bible to speak at some very uh, sensitive uh, issues as we are going to deal with uh, today. We'll allow the Bible to speak and guide us in Lija. Would you be able to take uh, us uh, through to the study today? Sure. Panel, welcome to our Bible study again today. As we keep studying the book of Ephesians, we observe that in Paul's advice to the Ephesians, he focuses on unity for the church as the body of Christ, being children of light and imitators of God. Then he addresses the family, giving advice to the wife and the husband. This week... We're looking into the first part of chapter 6 and we will debate the practical relationship between parents and children, obedience to earthly parents and advice for slaves and owners of slaves, entitled Practicing Supreme Loyalty to Christ. Let's start with prayer. Denise, would you please pray for us? Thank you. Yes, I'd be happy to. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to read your word and to find the important principles that are outlined there. And I pray that you will bless not only the members of the panel as we discuss this topic of loyalty to you, but also our listeners, that um, the Holy Spirit might touch their lives and that they might be drawn closer to you. So please bless us as we look at this uh, topic of children and parents and slaves today and that we might learn something that we can apply to our lives. We thank you, Jesus, in anticipation. Amen. 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 As a first question into this Bible study, as we starting with chapter 6 of Ephesians and verse 1, until what age were children under the authority of their parents in Paul's time in Jewish and Roman culture? Brenton, would you like to answer this question? Certainly, Ligia, we're able to do that. Um, two things or two different cultures. In Roman culture, it was um, necessary for the children to be obedient to their parents until the father, who was the patriarch of the family, had actually passed away. In Greek culture, we find that it was until the father reached the age of 60. Now, there are some Bible texts, Ligia, that probably explain this a little bit, and I'd like to share them briefly with you. The first part of Ephesians 6, 1 is an interesting one. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. I'm going to stop there. Uh, the rest of it says, for it is right. But um, I want you to think 
of a home church in Ephesus where you have parents and children and possibly grandchildren all sitting together. You also have slaves and slave masters. They would have all been seated probably in different positions to demonstrate their position in society. Now, Paul has moved on from what we studied last week where we talked about husbands and wives and the issue of submission. The term, the Greek term used for obey is not the same as submit. What I found interesting, Lydia, that is probably applicable here, and Nick was talking about this and um, a couple of our panel members off here, in an extended family, and Nick will be dealing with this a little bit later, it's interesting that you often in an extended family, you can have parents, grandparents, and maybe even grandparents all living in close proximity to one another. And uh, as I said, Nick will deal with this later on. But really, the word obey, the Greek word for it is to actually be obedient. It's more than just a mental assent that because of a person's age or experience, therefore they're expected to receive some respect. That is true, but it's also talking about obedience. Now, in Colossians 3.20, it says pretty much the same thing. Colossians is actually complementary to what we were studying in uh, or are studying today. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. The key point, Lydia, in all of this is obedience is not necessarily just based on seniority or experience. It's based on doing it for the Lord, and that's the highest motivation. Remember one thing that children, slaves, and everybody else we're going to discuss today, the issue is God knows the heart. He knows uh, the character. He knows the motivation as to why we do things. And Paul is setting it out, I believe, very early in the piece here by saying doing it in the Lord, meaning that do it as if you were doing it to the Lord. I have a second question for you, if you don't mind. Who had the authority of taking decisions for families and communities over the family in olden times? Well, leaders did take decisions, uh, but basically the, the father or the husband was the key person here. He virtually had the authority of life or death over even his children. And... um what dad said went. Now, <laughs> we could discuss this in light of 21st century things, and we'll get to that. But um, in that, their particular culture, generally it was the father. Now, if you stop and think about the fact that we have a loving Heavenly Father, we are his children, and so therefore the Bible is written in terms of something that we understand. But again, I come back to what I said earlier on, obedience by children to parents or to even to the father specifically should be based on as they grow their relationship with Jesus. In other words, they are to see their father. They're not to see him as God, but they're um, to behave in such a way because they have a higher authority and the higher authority is God. So in obeying their parents and their father specifically, they are actually being obedient to God. And we just read in Colossians 3.20, it's well-pleasing to the Lord. Thank you, Brenton. What about today in the 21st century? How significant is obedience to parents according to the commandment of God? 
Why should a child obey his parents? Jerry, would you like to answer? Yeah, I'll just uh, read the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, found in Exodus 20, verse 12, and it says there, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now, when you think of all the years that you spend raising a child for anybody who's had children, from the day they were born until they finally, if you're lucky, leave the parental home and start living their own lives. Think of the endless time and effort, the the love and, and kindness, and often sleepless nights, all endured because of the parents' love and the fact that the parents have a duty of care to protect and educate and provide for them and raise them in the fear of the Lord. With all this in mind, I don't think it's unreasonable for a child not only to respect but to, to honour their parents, especially if the parent uh, models the love of God in the family home. Now, you ask the question, what's it like in the 21st century? Has that changed? Can we apply the same rule? And it's interesting, I find that in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, if I can just read those two verses, Referring to the last days, it says there, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. And notice then it says, disobedience to parents, unthankful, unholy. So that is a characteristic of the time in which we live. And it's not, it's not universally so. I mean, Many, many children still love and honour and obey their parents, but uh, I think it is becoming a sign of the times that the respect that children show towards their parents is diminishing. And it's interesting, I find, that it's, it's been prophesied as, as one of the main features, if you like, that we can uh, see in society in the last days. So, yes, I think it's very important that uh, that, that honour and love and respect should be there. I mean... The relationship between a parent and their children is, is in some ways similar to the relationship between God as a heavenly parent and us as his children. So I see a strong parallel there. Yeah, I think it's a good idea to, to maintain that. That's the, that's the ideal, isn't it? To, to, to love each other unconditionally. And if I could add uh, just there, um, Jerry, you mentioned some important aspects, you know, uh, in this relationship, parents and children. And what I believe it's a challenge in these days is that um, the young ones, they don't appreciate as much the life experience of their parents. Mm-hmm. Now, we may have the knowledge, and it's true that in these days, you know, the knowledge is just so much and even little children, they know so much that their parents, they don't know about that. For example, in gadgets, technology, all other things. Mm. But that doesn't mean that the parent, they don't know what life is, what life means. And too often, the younger ones, they fall into the trap of going ahead with their plans, thinking that they know better, and they hit the brick wall. And there is a lots of, uh, a lots of situation going on. I think this is, that's where the Bible brings us all together to work in unity. I mean, we need to acknowledge also that some of the younger ones, they know much more 
than us in certain aspects and and not to disconsider that or to put them down but at the same time we even and I'm addressing here the young ones if if they are listening to this uh, broadcast that uh, how more important will be for their life to take advice from the parents from those people who faced some difficulties in life and they learn maybe through their mistakes how to deal with those situations and in general the parents they don't want their children to repeat their mistakes you know they they would like them to be spared of that i believe this is the the main idea of um, uh, the advice which paul gives mm-hmm. to the young ones yeah for sure and i think also uh, maybe if i can just continue on that um, one of the few advantages of getting old or older is that you can look back. Uh, you have some life experience to draw on. And, uh, it, and as you say, rightly so, you, you don't want your children to make the same mistakes that you may have made. So uh, it, it, it pays to listen to their advice. And also, I mean, I, I see it myself in my own family. We have grandchildren that go to school. The influence of the parents appears to be diminishing compared to the influence that um, they get from even teachers and outside sources. So it's, it can be very confusing for a child as well. Who do you listen to? Who's, who's the biggest influence? And society has uh, itself, you know, brings in all these influences on, I mean, the whole term influences. 20 years ago, you didn't have that, but today you do. And uh, so who, all these voices, who do they listen to? What shapes them? And, uh, and it used to be that what shapes them was what they heard and were modeled by their parents. Today, it's quite different. Yes. Thank you, Jerry. Brenton. Um, there's a principle here, Elijah, which whilst it's not stated in um, so many words in this text, I'm thinking of another text and one of our panel may be able to think of it. It basically says something along these lines. If you, if you don't obey, um, your parents or those whom you do see, how can you obey God whom you do not see? In other words, if you're disobedient to parents, you're going to be disobedient to God. That's a given. It doesn't work. It's not a split system where you're disobedient to parents, but obedient to God. If you're not obedient to your parents and you don't understand the principles of self-discipline, of obedience uh, when required. You don't understand your, I believe your relationship to God, even if you try and have one, is going to be very confused. That's exactly right, Brenton. As we move further um, and we read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3, Denise, what it means with the promise? It's a conditional promise? Um, yes, Lydia. Um, when we look at Ephesians 6, verse 2 and 3, I'll just read it from the NIV and then I'm going to read it from a paraphrase. So in the NIV, it says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Interesting, in the paraphrase, it says, Respect your parents whether they love the Lord or not, because that's the commandment to which God has attached a special promise that things may go well with you and that you may live a longer life. So it seems this is one of the commandments and the promise is that things may go well with you, that 
the child's life will be successful based on the principles that they've learnt from their godly parents. But if they aren't godly parents, but the child is a follower of God from whatever reason, then they have to obey them according to the Lord. So what they know to be true as far as what how God wants them to behave. So if the parents want them to steal or the parents want them to do something that goes against the commandments, then they are admonished to follow God. And the promise is that things may go well, that their life will be successful, they'll have principles that they can build on, and that they may live a longer life. Now, initially, this was a promise to the children of Israel going into Canaan. But when we look at a future application of this, this could refer to eternal life and the fact that we are following the commandments because we love God and the reward for that is eternal life. Um, I'd like to read something from Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 20, which relates to this promise. It says, My son, keep your father's commands and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Bind them upon your heart forever. Fasten them around your neck. When you walk, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you wake, they will speak to you. For these commands are a lamp. This teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life, keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. So this following what our parents teach us as children is to protect us. That's very important aspect, Denise, uh, what you underline there in regard to eternal life. Because, you know, uh, uh, when we talk about uh, obedience and respect, even though they are different things, I believe this is very important what you just said to understand that uh, if our parents, they are not uh, doing the things which they should do, that doesn't mean that we need to be rude or, uh, you know, treat them with disrespect in any way, in any way. I think this is very important. That's why society is getting to this point because we just respect those people which pleases us or whatever, you know, whatever pleases me, that's what I accept or that's what I respect. And I heard this a lot being said in these times. I'll respect you if you respect me. You see, it can have a very important aspect here too. It's very hard to respect people who disrespect you. But in the terms of relationship, parents and children, I think this will be a blessing if you know how to continue to respect. And it may be even an, an example from the child to the parent that the parent may even realize and wake up on the things they do. Thank you, Nick. Is obedience applicable to just a period of time of the child's life or for all his life to his parents? Well, when you look at the commandment, it doesn't specify that... Um, it's for a certain period. It just says, honor your father and your mother. So I would assume that that is a lifelong commandment. That's right. Thank you, Denise. You know, um, can I just mention something? It's interesting. I read about some of the cultures back in Bible times. If a child cursed their father, they were put to death. That's right. Pretty serious stuff. Yeah. Yes, Brenton. Just a point um, that Denise touched on and uh, also others have touched on. 
Um, Nick, I think you touched on uh, the issue of respect for parents, even if parents uh, maybe are not worthy of respect. I'm thinking of a Bible character that we all know well. The very first king of Israel was a guy called Saul. Now, Saul started out very well, but um, he eventually got to a stage where I believe that he was, um, well, the Bible says an evil spirit used to trouble him. But his son, Jonathan, was still respectful to his father, despite the fact that his father had tried to kill his best friend a couple of times and then hunted him mercilessly for possibly as much as seven years, if you study the history of how Saul pursued David. Jonathan was still respectful to his father. That backs up what Denise was saying, that even though, and ultimately he died in battle with his father uh, at the end of First uh, Samuel, but it demonstrates to me that even though Saul was probably by that stage definitely not worthy of respect, he still respected him as his earthly father, and it would have been based on the principle that Jonathan loved and feared his heavenly father. Yes, that's right. Thank you, Brenton. What forms of respect we should show to our parents? Do we keep a relationship with our parents in all our lives or for just a limited time? Nick? I mean, yeah, as was addressed this already, uh, and Brenton and the others mentioned about this, that this is not about uh, a period of time, let's say, until I leave home, for example, or uh, uh, until I uh, I can make my own uh, decisions, which these days people make their own decisions very early, very early. Now, in my case, I left home when I was 14 years old. Because I thought that my parents and, you know, that generation, they are a little bit behind. And I thought I have uh, better things to do. And uh, I took the world to say so in my chest, you know, I mean, like, and moved on in life. Uh, I must accept after a number of years now that uh, I was not necessarily that, uh, you know, guru of knowing all things uh, at that age of 14 when I left home. But uh, I did. I did. Now, in the olden days, or as I said, in my days, you know, when I, I was young, I was a, a child, children were taught to respect their parents, to respect the elderly people. They were taught from home and in public places, like in schools. And this is, I believe, a very important thing, because when we compare that with uh, with today, and we mentioned already a couple of things, that even in schools on some other places, the young ones they are told to stand up for their uh, their, their rights. rights, which which can be misunderstood. You know what that means. For example, I don't want to bring uh, necessarily this one as a just as a one example, but even uh, these days with transgender thing and all those things. The young ones, they are taught to take a stand and a position for what they feel. Now, how can a three, four, five, six years old can take that decision? But I'm not going to sit on that example, but on many other things. I believe this is why we are in this position of disrespect, generally. In society. And Brenton, I think you mentioned earlier that, or Jerry, uh, that's not the case with everybody. You know, we cannot generalize in, sure. in everything. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Jerry who mentioned that. Yeah. But I think we, if, if we look at the, at the whole picture today, 
we see that discrepancy in between what respect really means and how people are treating each other and how young people treat the elderly people and how elderly people treat the young people. It, it is a, it is a broken relationship. Just because we are not following some of the teachings of the Bible, which uh, make so much sense. Yeah, I think can be said a lot about this, but um, I would like to emphasize here again that we should take the advice of the Word of God because teaches us in all aspects of life. And we are going to deal even with some other more sensitive issues like slavery and other things. If we listen to the word of God, we can only learn and improve our life and to be an example. Even if we are young or we are a bit older, we can all be an example for each other. Thank you, Nick. Does obedience in the home influence obedience later on in life, Denise? Yes, um, it does. And there are a few texts I'd like to have a look at because... Parents bring us up to obey their rules in the home. They teach us about um, how to obey the authorities. And there's certainly texts in the Bible about obeying the authorities. And I'm thinking about Matthew 22, 21, where Jesus says, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God what belongs to him. So we are taught to obey authorities as long as it doesn't go against God's word. So it's got that same principle of in the Lord. Uh, and if we look at Acts 5.29, there's also some admonition there. And Acts 5.29 says Peter um, and the apostles were in front of the Sanhedrin and Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. So the Sanhedrin was telling them they couldn't preach about Jesus and his resurrection and they had to put what God said before men. So, yes, we are taught to obey authorities, but as long as they are within the framework of God's commands. Thank you, Dennis. Yes, Nick. And I just want to um, say here, um, again, a bit from my experience, uh, Brenton was alluding to this uh, earlier. I grew up in a very um, interesting environment in uh, Romania, in Transylvania, and we were all farmers in that area. And we lived together like, um, in my case, it was a bit different because my grandparents, they lived just next to the house, next to our house, our home. But we were still kind of uh, uh, in the same uh, environment. But people used to live uh, together like, um, you know, the grandparents with the the parents and the children and grandchildren, they they live all together. And they were together uh, at the farm. Now, there was needed there to be somebody who was leading, you know, and generally was the eldest. I mean, uh, the grandparents, as, as long as they were able, you know, I mean, even health-wise and all those things. But they, that respect was always there. And it was taught not only in the family, but in the community. Even if the family may have some issues sometime, you know, with some other people and they may advise, you know, the young ones to be disrespectful in a way or the other, the community will correct that. The community will stand for what is appropriate for a young person to act and to. And what was also important that when you move into schools, 
the children was taught the same thing, even if at home was sometime a bit of a, of an issue. Actually, in the community again, in the public places like schools, children were taught to respect, to respect. Now. I came to Australia and I'm not picking up on Australia because this is all over the world, but I used to go in a bus and I could see, um, you know, 10, 15 year, uh, young, um, uh, person sitting on the bus and an elderly person, you know, struggling to hold on the, on the bar there on the bus and nobody will give a seat. Nobody will give a seat to the elderly person. Now, that's just a simple example. There are so many other things which today, I don't know why in this generation, we don't see them as necessarily or as, or as needed. And I think that's why we are living in such a bubble, like individualistic society. You know, whatever is good for me, whatever is pleases me and things like that. We need to rethink all these things. And I believe from places like this, when we talk about these things, broadcasting or in our churches, because we talk in the church, we should revisit these things. We should look carefully at these things and make a difference in society. Not always it's possible to change things around, but you know what doesn't mean that we need to give up on the very important things of the Bible teaching us. Thank you, Nick. Brenton, do you have uh, something to add? Yes, I should have said it earlier on. Um, I see a, a real conflict between uh, the fact that our generation these days are taught that they have rights and that they can stand up for those rights. And there's, in a sense, that is so. We live in an area, in an arena of political correctness where we were told what to think and to do. Now, at what point does a person's individual rights become subjugated to groupthink or whatever? Because we use a lot of motherhood statements, motherhood statements such as we live in a global village, we're all in this together, and statements like this. And yet on the other side of the ledger, you've got being taught that you have individual rights and those individual rights have to be respected. I believe all this does really is lead to confusion. This is why it is necessary to do it in the fear of the Lord, because only in the fear of the Lord can you, I think, adequately determine what God would have you to do and what not. What is appropriate for a person to stand up for their individual rights and what what is something that you have to conform to because God would have you to do. I see there's a lot of issues around this particular thing. Thank you, Brent. And Denise? Um, I think something that comes out in the Bible is that our salvation is an individual relationship between us and God. So no one else should be telling us what to believe in our relationship with God. That's between us and God, and he gives us a conscience and he gives us the Holy Spirit to help guide us. And so um, our salvation is a very individual thing. Our parents can't save us. Our spouse can't save us. No one else um, can save us by proxy. It's it's our individual personal relationship and belief in Jesus Christ. And that's what I believe. You know, we are talking about this uh, practicing supreme loyalty to Christ. I mean, if we allow that uh, those um, wonderful teachings, you know, which God 
put in place for us to guide us, to direct us, how wonderful that will be. But I think, again, we are uh, guiding our lives and uh, in, in family and generally in society uh, by our own understandings and totally push aside this concept of God knowing what's best for us, what we should do to live a happy life, as we pointed out the commandment uh, number five, you know, to live happily on this uh, planet Earth, not to live in this sort of uh, confusion and uh, distress and troubles everywhere and in the family too. Thank you guys for your input. Let's move on. As we read in chapter 6, verse 4, we observe here an advice to fathers. What motivation does verse 4 and Colossians 3.21 provides for avoiding or irritating a child? Brenton. Yes, there are two texts, Lydia. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 4 and Colossians 3.21 both address this issue. I'm going to try and summarize it as quickly as I can, but I would like to read the verses. Firstly, Ephesians 6.4, it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. Another word for wrath is do not make them angry, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Backing that statement up is the statement in chapter 3 of Colossians, verse 21 where it says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. If you balance those two statements out, a lot could be said on this, uh, Lydia. The term exasperate was also used. Uh, exasperate can mean to agitate, to irritate, to provoke, to anger, etc., etc. Rather than giving a broad-based uh, comment on this, let me um, home in on one thing that I can think of that perhaps applied in my childhood and might be of some benefit. That is this. Some parents, and you've touched on it, Lydia, quite well by stating the term authoritarian, some parents have very, very high standards for their children. In and of themselves, that is not wrong. However, we need to recognise that children are growing and that they're developing, they're maturing. Sometimes children reach a point where they feel they're never going to reach the standard that is demanded of them by their father. And as a result, they simply give up. What is the result of that? They become sullen. They become resentful. They become disobedient. Uh, Their school grades, I would suggest, drop off. Denise might be able to add further value on that one. But he, I believe, above all things, Paul is admonishing parents not to push children too much, but to love them, even though they are to respect their parents and be obedient to them, they are to do it in such a way that the child understands or begins to understand that it's for their best good. And I really think from personal experience and from observation, I have seen so many examples of children who've given up because of what they see is impossible demands placed on them by maybe an authoritarian father or mother. It can apply in both cases. So I think Paul is guarding against this. Remember when they read this out, the children would have been sitting in the room when they were receiving this advice and they would be hearing this and saying to themselves, this is the advice that Paul is giving to my parents 
as to how they are to treat us. Yes, Denise? I think, too, uh, maybe it's referring to the fact that children give up their faith in God as a result of authoritarian parents. Good point. So these are the, the consequences of a dictatorial parent taking over the free will of the child. Yes. Is such discipline pleasing to our Heavenly Father? The simple answer is no, because it's so unlike his character. Yes, uh, Jerry? Yeah, I think we have to be uh, mindful of the fact also that uh, if we look at the love that God has for his children, you know, it's really important that we try to model that if we have our own families, because what they see in you as a parent is what they see in who they can see is the picture that they would likely see in their heavenly parent or God whom they can't see. In other words, if you are an authoritative, rough, harsh parent, if that's all you are, a stern disciplinarian, then it's quite possible that that's the image that the child will get of the, the God that you're trying to teach them about. Yeah, And that's, that's not a very pleasant picture. And it must, it must be that... Um, over the years, many children have uh, decided, well, if that's what God is like, I don't want to know him. That's right. Thank you, Jerry. There is a promise in the prophet Elijah uh, message about unity through the generations. Jerry, would you like to expand this? Yes. Thank you. Yes. Now, the prophet Malachi actually refers to a, a time right before the coming of the, the Lord. It's called the Great and Terrible Day of the Lord where the hearts of the children will turn in love to their, to their fathers and, uh, and vice versa. And that, that is a wonderful thing. Uh, it's such a, an act of mercy when I think that um, there are so many Christian parents who have taught their children about the love of God, raised their children in the fear of the Lord, and many times it happens that when the children reach a certain age, they go their own way, they disconnect from God, and... The parents continue to pray for them, but nothing seems to happen. But thankfully and mercifully, uh, God hasn't forgotten. And in his mercy, just before he comes, can I just read uh, from a paraphrase these few verses from chapter 4 in Malachi? I think it brings it out beautifully. It says there, But before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes, I will send a message such as I gave to Elijah, calling the people to choose whom they will serve. This message will be taken to the whole world. It will knit my people together, and the hearts of the fathers will turn in love to their children, and the hearts of the children will turn in love to their fathers. And though the earth is set aside for destruction, my people will be saved. I think that's beautifully worded. And so there is um, yeah, there is hope, even though it may, for the moment at least, look as though the children couldn't be further away from their parents if they drift away. God, in his great mercy, will, through his Holy Spirit, work a miracle. And uh, the time is coming when it will be closing time, as it were. The curtain's coming down. This is your final opportunity. And God will, will bring back to their memory the things that their parents have taught them. And they will reflect on that very strongly. And they'll have to make a choice. And there's, there is great hope in these, in these verses, I believe. Yes, Jerry. Thank you so much. Uh, Denise? I think it's important for um, these children who have left uh, their parents in the church to uh, recognise that they can come back at any time yes. and that God will accept them, their parents will accept them, and that it's, it's never too late 
for God, uh, that his whole mission is to seek and to save the lost. Yes. And, and I think that's where the point that we made uh, so often is that uh, if it's a respect, a mutual respect in there, even though you may have differences in terms of uh, ideology and uh, other things, uh, if that respect is still in place, the chances are bigger to resolve some of the issues. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Nick. I would like to read some advice from uh, the child guidance. Fathers and mothers in the home, you are to represent God's disposition. You are to require obedience, not with a storm of words, but in kind, loving manner. Be pleasant in the home. Restrain every word that would arouse unholy temper. Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath is a divine injunction. No license is given in God's word for parental severity or oppression or for filial disobedience. The law of God in the home life and in the government of nations flows from a heart of infinite love. So beautiful. Now let's move on. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 5 to 8, Paul addresses an advice to slaves. Brenton, can you please expand this idea? Yes, certainly, Lydia. Um, I would like to read those verses first and foremost. It says this. Interesting that some translations of the scriptures use the word slaves. In my particular case here, it uses the word bond servants. Bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as in Christ. Notice those words again, as in Christ. Not with eye service as men pleases, but in bond servants or as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. In summarising those verses, and certainly there are other verses, Titus 2 verse 9 10 talks about it. Colossians 3 also gives advice on this particular subject. You could say this. There are a couple of key points that come out of this. Nowhere in Scripture does Paul give an outright condemnation of slavery. I find that really, really interesting. Uh, Did he disagree with slavery? Most assuredly he did. However, what he's saying here is that slaves are to obey their masters, doing it from the relationship that they would be doing as if they were doing it for the Lord. He's also pointing out another feature here that is pretty important, and that is that the reward that slaves receive is precisely the same reward that slave owners receive. So you've got slave owners and slaves sitting together in a house church in Ephesus, hearing this council of Paul's, and they're being told that regardless of your rank in society, the reward is the same. When Christ comes again, and he alone is the one who knows all hearts, you'll receive exactly the same reward. Now, there were some other texts in relationship to slavery uh, in the Old Testament, Lydia. The Jews, uh, when they came out of Egypt, God told them in no uncertain terms 
that they were not to take their fellow Jews as slaves. The reason why you could become a slave is you defaulted in debt. Uh, in New Testament times, there were a number of reasons why you could be slaves. That could be one of them, but more likely you were a slave as a result of maybe your city or your country being conquered by a foreign power and you would being taken as a slave. And so in Deuteronomy 23, 15, it's rather interesting. God says to Israel in very unequivocal terms that a slave that escapes from a foreign country and comes to you, you are not to send him back to where he came from again. In other words, Israel was to be viewed as a place of safety, a haven of, uh, of, of safety. So in summarizing the overall views of slaves and slave owners, they received the same reward. The slave, regardless of how he is treated, is to view his service to his earthly master as if he were doing it to his heavenly master. So Paul is always, in this these passages that we're studying today, he is always using the term in the Lord or as to the Lord or whatever. The Lord here is referring to Jesus Christ. So he's saying that, you need to take almost an altruistic view of what you were doing. You need to focus on the fact that even though you may have an earthly master who is harsh, overbearing, dictatorial, authoritarian, just remember that there is a higher master who observes what you do and why you do it. And he is the one that ultimately you are answerable to. So if you do it with the right motives, uh, God will reward you just the same as he will reward the slave master. Thank you, Brenton. Jerry? Yeah, just quickly, um, we could have quite a discussion on slavery and the definition Absolutely. of slavery. <laughs> Slaves back in the, in Paul's day weren't necessarily abused or exploited. They could simply be servants and, uh, and have a fairly good um, quality of life. And slavery still exists today, very much so. And there are many places in the world where those who are in slavery are actually subject of the, the, the most horrible abuse. So um, we need to bear that in mind as well. Probably, Brenton, if I can just reflect on what you said, you know, you mentioned that the Bible doesn't actually condemn outright uh, slavery. I think maybe uh, in Paul's case, that might have been a bridge too far had he, had he actually uh, outright. I think so. I think and in so. fact, what he's suggesting is is absolutely revolutionary, isn't it? Yes. Uh, as to the interrelationship between slave and, and master. And he does that in many areas, doesn't he? And we've, we've talked about marriage and the relationship between husband and wife. So, um, no, I think, um, he presents a very radical change in the way, uh, people should treat each other. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, let's move on. Um, as you said, uh, as you mentioned a little bit, Jerry, does modern slavery exist today in the 21st century? And we, in which form? Yeah, Nick? Yes, uh, uh, this is a very uh, important thing. As Jerry said, we can take a, a talk, a program only on these uh, aspects. Um, but indeed, uh, modern uh, slavery is a serious uh, violation of uh, an individual's dignity and human rights. I mean, exploitation practices, including human trafficking of, uh, you know, sex slavery, um, servitudes, uh, forced labor, debt bondage, uh, and even, even forced marriages are all considered 
modern uh, slavery and are serious uh, crime under the Australian law. Now, I would like to uh, refer here to verse 9 in uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 6. It says here, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is not favoritism with him. Now, if I would like to translate this in our days, because, Lydia, you ask about modern slavery, this is how I will say, powerful people in this world, don't act like you have everything in your hands and uh, oppress people who may not be as powerful as you. Because in this context, when uh, the address is to the masters, is that they were powerful over their slaves. They could do anything. They could even uh, kill them and nobody will charge them. They were very powerful. And the advice is here that God is saying, hey, you treat them the same because God is the one who will treat you all equally. And I will suggest here, I would like to advise if it's possible that whatever we are in, involving as, as in the workforce or in uh, whatever aspect of life that will consider to treat each other with dignity and with respect. And indeed, we are facing and we see at every corner that uh, push from the powerful people in this world in the direction of modern slavery. And I will say here, give attention again to the advice of God. My dear friend listening today, I would like to bring here, if it's possible, to put a bit of a plug for our offer, which we still have available for you. That's God's amazing grace. How wonderful will be to learn more about God. Please claim this offer which we have for you. You know by now probably that you need, need to send us a text message with the code SABS1. SA stands for South Australia and BS stands for Bible study. And uh, just put a one after it and the number where you can claim this offer to send a text message is 04 Eight two zero nine triple eight three. Thank you, Nick. Now I have a, a a question: Are you a slave to sin or a free person? What it means to be a slave, Dennis? Well, I think the uh, this word slavery here is a is a metaphor for who we belong to in a spiritual sense. So we're either slaves to sin, which is our natural human state. Or we are slaves to Christ. And uh, Paul in the New Testament willingly declared his status as a slave of Jesus Christ. And I want to read some texts. The first one is found in Romans 6 and verse 16. And I'm reading from the clear word paraphrase. And it says, Don't you know that you become the slave of the one you turn your life over to? If you turn your life over to sin, it will eventually kill you. If you turn your life over to doing what is right, you'll receive eternal life. And the next one is Romans 6.22. It says, but now you have been freed from sin and have become willing servants of Jesus Christ. 
So then you become a slave to Christ. And the last one I'd like to read is found in 1 Corinthians 7.23, and it says this, Christ paid the price for each of you. Don't become a slave to anyone or anything. So we've been bought with a price, just like slaves were bought in Bible times, and we are not slaves of sin anymore, but we can become slaves to Christ, which is a positive thing, and it changes our lives forever. Thank you, Denise. Uh, if we move further to the last verse of uh, chapter 6, actually verse 9, in this context, uh, what advice is Paul giving to masters of slaves? Jerry? Yeah, it says there again from the actual word, which both Denise and I appear to like very much, <laughs> and for good reason, I think. It says there, uh, masters, one. <laughs> do the same for your servants. They're your brothers. Don't mistreat them. You too have a master, and he takes no, makes no distinction, but treats everyone with kindness and great affection. So essentially what it's saying here is um, ultimately we're accountable to the same master, the heavenly, our heavenly master, and it behoves us to be respectful and kind uh, towards each other, mutually kind and fair and reasonable. Uh, in fact, um, that thought is also brought out in Colossians chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So it works both ways. That's what he's saying, basically. And uh, if I can just read something else that brings the same thought out, Masters should respond to their slaves with deeds of goodwill, governed by their allegiance to Christ, corresponding to what Paul has just asked of slaves. He tells them to stop threatening their slaves which was a common practice of the time in which masters administered a wide variety of punishments, and we talked about that already, including beating, sexual abuse, being sold and parted from loved ones, extreme labor, starvation, shackles, branding, and even death. And for all this, they will be judged by God. And Jerry, as I mentioned earlier, uh, this involves those uh, you know powerful people. And I, w- I will say again, powerful people don't enforce your way or only your ways on people Correct. we are uh, in this society as as one you know uh, you may have advantage to be in different powerful positions but that doesn't mean that gives you the right to enforce things upon people brenton did you have something to add uh, just very quickly because i know we're nearly out of time here you are back to the home church again You've got slave masters sitting in the places of honour, slaves perhaps sitting in front of them. And uh, Paul is pointing out here, and Jerry touched on this. Thank you, Jerry, for touching on it earlier on, that even though Paul doesn't um, explicitly discuss the issue of slavery, both the slave and the slave master are listening to Paul's advice here. And Paul is saying that the reward in heaven as far as God is concerned, is exactly the same for one as it is for the other. Surely that is setting a very interesting precedent if you really thought it through for a slave owner to go home and think about that the way I treat my slave, my heavenly father is watching, the slave to think that the way the slave master is treating me, my heavenly father is watching, and yet the reward at the end of it all is exactly the same. In other words, how does God view us? God views us as human beings. He views us as being equal. 
Are you an owner of employers? Do you work with people under your leadership? Do you have children in your care? Are you a parent or a teacher? Whatever you do, be an example. Be a father. Be a parent, even with those of no moral knowledge. Exercise honesty, loyalty, integrity, correctness, respect, patience. No greed, no stealing, no cheating, not bad treatment, no despising, no harshness, no favoritism. Apply Paul's counsel to slaves and slave masters. We know that slavery in any form is one of the greatest of moral evils. We should ponder how to apply the value of the gospel advice today in our everyday living and relationships we cherish, being always people prepared for the Lord to nurture and protect those in our care, practicing supreme loyalty to Christ, who is above all our master. Jerry, would you please lead us in closing prayer, please? Thank you. Yes. Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, loving God, We've had an interesting discussion on slavery and, uh, and we've come to the conclusion, Lord, that this was never, never in your master plan for the human no, family. No. We were all created equal and, uh, how different it is in this world and how horrible sin has infected the human race and, um, and caused all kinds of abuse. But we rejoice in the, in the knowledge that one day, this will be a thing of the past one day soon. And when your people gather together with you, they will all be as one because they are all one in Christ, loved equally, valued equally. Yes. And uh, it is just a beautiful thought uh, to look forward to the reality of that, that place where we will all be together and all be brothers and sisters. But Lord, so help us to learn from what we've talked about. Help us respect and honor each other. Sometimes it can be quite challenging, especially uh, when when you could argue almost that people don't deserve that uh, respect in an abusive situation in particular. Yeah. Very difficult, and uh, and we don't profess to have all the answers, but we do know that the principle is sound, that we should love one another, that parents should love their children, and that children should love their parents, that, that people should honour and, and respect each other. And what a difference it would make in society if that was the case. So we just pray that this may have been beneficial both for ourselves and for our listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen all. Thank you so much, uh, everyone. Thank you, panel, for your participation. Thank you, Lydia, for leading us into this uh, discussion today. Uh, indeed, a very sensitive uh, topic. But my dear friend, uh, listening, we are inviting you to join us again next time when we are going to uh, look at the very important one again. It says, the call to stand. May God richly bless you and live a life which God will approve. Walking into the footsteps of Jesus. Until next time, may God bless you.